help us to connect with you. We, we cannot make anything happen that we can receive. And you're a good, good Father. You're always giving and you're always speaking. You're always, you're always reaching out to us. And there are folks in this room today who feel like that you're not listening. They feel like that they're disconnected and they have these feelings that are all just not true. And they're living with pains and wounds that are assaulting them and they cannot forgive themselves. And they are trapped in a place of darkness and fear and loneliness and isolation. And so I ask you, Lord, today that you would show this powerful forgiveness that comes through a person, Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Becky, can I have your microphone? Thank you. Hey, Michael, Mike, can you put the blue microphone into the record feed? All right. Good morning. So I, I think I have allergies, but it could be a head cold. But I did have a COVID test, so I will probably not COVID you. Is that okay? All right. Probably not. Sorry. <laughs> If uh, I, anyway, I, that was uh, that was my fear yesterday that uh, I woke up with coughing and sneezing, and it's something I do regularly just for fun. It's something I, I love about Wyoming is that there's always something to irritate my sinuses in the air. So, uh, man, my heart is like heavy. I don't know. Not heavy is not the right word. I just I really. I really want you to experience what we are talking about today. That's what I want. And uh, so, Brother John came to me. I'm going to come back to you, John. But uh, Brother John came up to me this morning, and the, he was in prayer, and the Lord gave him something. So I'm going to start by letting him share a bit of what the Lord gave him. So you're like, this is different, and different's good, right? <laughs> so, uh, Dennis, don't worry about following me. If you got me in the feed and everything, are we okay? All right. This is John Seafruit. He's a brother. In the Lord, and if you just give them the interpretation of what God gave you this morning, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It was very early this morning, and I was awakened, praying in the spirit, and it was very unusual because it would be some spirit, and then some in understanding, then back to spirit, then back to understanding. But what it became was a plea for people, and not just outside of this house, but within it as well, who are disenchanted and broken and hurting. And the word lonely kept coming back over and over and over. Physical hurting, all these things. And so I said, what do I do? And he says, send the comforter. Send the prince of peace. Amen. Send the sensation of peace. Let it abide with him, but send it. Amen. Actively send it. Yes. And then it was just over. But it was a plea to remember and recognize that wherever you are, there's people all around that are hurting, just hurting hard with no remedies. So... Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Would you bow your heads for a second? Holy Spirit, we just want to release peace right now. Just want to release peace in the name of Jesus. If you're here and you are struggling with isolation and aloneness, 
Can you just receive that, that God is here? And you're like, well, I don't know if He is. You know, for a moment, could you just, just sense, like take a minute and just, if God's got it, I'll take it. Just that attitude, if God wants me to have it. You just let that peace fill over you. Father, we thank you for being so faithful. I pray that you help every person in this room experience you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody, for your patience. I so much appreciate it. Oh, my goodness, God is so good. And I know that you're probably, uh, you know, some of you guys have been in church and you've been in ordinary faith for a while and you know, you know God's good and we all the time like to say things like God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. But you also may be still exploring your faith and you just don't know yet. And you're trying to figure out even if there is a God, what's this thing about the Bible? Why are church people so weird? I'm working on that last one myself. It was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> I'm going to crack jokes every so often, so just, if you're like, if you're thinking, that might be funny, just go ahead and laugh, and even if it's out of place, I'll take it. <laughs> it, it can be in a weird place, I'll just take it. You know, one of the things that isolates us, I don't know why the Holy Spirit's speaking isolation today, but I'm, I'm hearing it, so I'm going to tap into it a little bit. Um, one of the things that isolates us is our past. You know, when you were a kid, maybe you went to church and maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe your parents gave you a set of rules and there was a way to get out of trouble. There was a way to get out of trouble. You see, because that's a problem. So like when you're a kid, you do something dumb. Not that your kids do dumb things, but you did dumb things when you were a kid, likely. And maybe you stole the candy from the candy store, or maybe you talked too much in class and had to write a billion times on some chalkboard somewhere, I will not talk in class which is why my penmanship is in Swahili rather than English. <laughs> but there was a way to get out of trouble. And it was, either, it was either writing on the paper, it was saying, I'm sorry, it was taking the candy back in the store and, saying, and owning what you did. There was always a way to get out of trouble. But that changes when you get older. And that simple, true principle. It's not, there's nothing wrong when you did something wrong, say, I'm sorry. There's nothing wrong with that thinking. The problem is as you get older, things happen to you, you do things, and there's nobody to apologize to. The person you let down the most was you. The failure that was the biggest in your life was a failure to yourself. And so we live life under this false belief that comes from the world you were born into, not the world you were born again into. And I know that may sound like a weird term, but that was really for the church folks in the room. And you, you kind of live life with this idea that there's a scale in play all the time, and sometimes my good is outweighing my bad, and my bad is outweighing my good, and then... What happens inevitably is that the bad gets so heavy over time because you don't know what to do with it. There's no one to say I'm sorry to. There's no one to pay it back to. There's no one to own it with. And if there is, you don't think you have the courage to do it anyway. And so the, the negative side of the scale gets just crushed. And the good side of the scale's feathers. 
And you're living your life and you, you, you begin in the enemy. You have an enemy. And you're like, well, I don't know if we have an enemy or not. Okay, you don't have to accept it yet, but just accept that that's what I believe. That you have an enemy and he takes, he knows, he can see through the look on your face and the way you talk and the language that you use that your, your bad deeds, your failures, your mistakes are crushing you and he begins to whisper from the place of your brokenness, you're a wreck. You're horrible. You're a failure. You're never going to change. There's no hope for you. And what happens is you begin to believe these lies and you isolate yourself in the darkness and of aloneness because you believe from the bottom of your heart that if anyone ever really knew who I was, they would walk away. And so here I am in my place of aloneness and I can never be known. I can never trust you to know me. No one can ever really know me. How do you knock all that crap? And that's what it is. That's the technical term in the Greek. How do you knock all of that crap off your scale and be free? Who, how do you get done with it? You see, that's the problem. It's never done. Never done. There's the mistakes, there's the failures, the people I hurt, the marriage that I wrecked, the children that I failed, the jobs that I blew, the money that I lost. It's just always there. So how? How do you get free of that? And that's... That's our starting point today. I love David, man. I love reading the Psalms. You know, I decide, I'm not preaching today. I'm just going to pour my heart out. Is that okay? I love the Psalms. I love David because the dude was nuts just like me. I love Peter because he was nuts just like me. I just love him. And I love what David wrote because I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to God and I'm like, God, I don't even like me. I don't know why you hang around. You know? And David said, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? And then he comes up with the answer and the answer is not encouraging. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Bummer. Michael, do you tell lies? Only to myself. But then he comes back in Psalm 130 because Psalms is David working through his faith, man. Learning about his faith and learning who his God is. And by Psalm 130, he writes, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, O Lord, who could ever survive? Wow. That's how I feel. That's why when we talked about being a mistaker a few weeks ago, it just uh, shucked my corn and stripped my heart. You know what shucked corn means, right? So, guilt is, to me, one of, not the only, but one of 
the most powerful tools being used against you in pretty much every moment of your life. And it comes from this, con- this conception, this idea of, a, of a outweighing your good with your bad. And it comes from this history of the mistakes of the things you've done and the things that you've said. And what we try to do is we try to outrun that stuff our whole lives. We do everything we can. We, we stuff our bodies with food or alcohol or we stuff our schedules with as much busyness as possible. Just something so we don't have to, to think about it. And, and we fill our ears with as much noise as possible. I'll never forget when I was supervising at McDonald's, I, uh, I worked with a... Uh, several people, and they could not handle silence. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, after eight kids, it's all I want. When people say to me, what do you want to listen to on the radio? I reach over and turn it off, okay? Because I'm, ah. Isn't there a song called The Sound of Silence? That might be my favorite song. Anyway, so, just like eight kids, you know. And now I have eight grandchildren and a ninth on the way, and at least once or twice a year, they all try and show up. And it's terrifying. It's just like, what? Again? I love you, but I love you more there. Over there. And so, we try and just stay busy and never, never deal with it. And because when the silence creeps in, all the memories and One picture, and we're right back in our worst moment. One word, one harsh tone, and we're right back. We can never, just can't get done with it. What am I supposed to do about that? If you're looking at the issues of faith, or if you are a believer, but you're still newer in your faith, it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer, you can be new in your faith your entire life. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just a reality. And so if you're new in your faith and you, you, you are struggling with these things, and this may be why you're considering faith, because you just can't be at peace. Real, deep, sustaining peace. You can't be done with the stuff. What are you going to do about it? Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. We're not going to dumb down our mistakes Try and make you feel good about them. No, what we want to do is be done with them. Want them to be over. Want it to be done. We want a, a starting point so you can move on from what was into what is. That you can move from the heaviness of the past into the freedom. The freedom that God, God wants you to be free. The idea of personal rights, totally His idea. He wants you to be free. So, what do we do? Well, we get to this issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the issue. And and that's a big leap in our minds because where we normally are is we're like, how can I make up for it? And that's that's the lie of the mistaker. The mistaker thinks, okay, I goofed up, but I'll do better. And what I do in the future will somehow make up for what I've done in the past. That works when you're a child, a teenager, maybe even into your early 20s. But as life progresses, your stupidity increases. <laughs> Michael, don't call me stupid. I didn't say you were stupid. You're afflicted by stupidity, as am I. 
We all are. And we do things, and there's no way to go back. Things we've done have hurt people. And so mistaking doesn't quite get it done. And along the way, we incur debts, usually to ourselves. Yes, of course, to God. But you may not even believe in Him yet, so let's talk about what's going on inside of you. This part of you that's, that feels like, that, that weighs upon you, that is this heaviness of guilt and can never be done with it. And you know, every faith offers some kind of solution for your past and your guilt. Usually it looks religious, ritualistic, rule-driven, or stranger. Only Christianity, only Christianity offers a person. Miss Linda's reading my notes. And his name is Jesus. The only faith. It's so unique. We'll look into that more over the next few weeks as we come into the final half of the series. But only Christianity is so completely unique in that it's not asking of you. It's giving to you. And so, forgiveness is the issue. You don't need a solution. There is a solution. So where's the solution? So let's start with a guy called John the Baptizer. Or John the Baptist. Baptists like to call him John the Baptist. Because the Methodists would like to call him John the Methodist. John the Catholic. John the something. But he was John the Baptizer. Now we learn about John the Baptizer from John the Apostle. Two Johns. Apparently John was a rather popular name 2,000 years ago. Okay, So you have John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote three letters, which we like to call them epistles. Epistles just means letters. It doesn't mean wife of the apostles. Apostles, epistles. Every now and then I like to give you a taste of some old school pastor jokes, and that was one of them. Okay, Just so you know what you've been missing all these years. <laughs> John shows up on the scene. And I don't know, around 28 or 30 A.D., John shows up on the scene, and he's, uh, he's out baptizing people. Now, that may not sound weird to you, but if you were just to take a second, if I were to go, ahead, go out and maybe, did anyone in the room get an elk yet? Just nod your head. You don't have to be. Does anyone get their elk yet? Okay. All right. Okay. Jody got her elk. All right. If any of you men need to know how to do it, Jody's right over here. <laughs> Just kidding. Thanks, buddy. So now I say, hey, I need, I need to hide off of that elk because I'm going to get dressed up for Sunday. And I take that hide and I put on some skins and some fur and I go out to the river in Green River where it's nice and chilly this time of year, I'm guessing, because I'm never stepping into it, but that's another issue at this time of year. And uh, I go up there and I just start baptizing people. You'd think to yourself, well, that's a little bit weird. I think that if there were hell's angels who converted to Christ... 2,000 years ago that John the Baptist would have been the first one. John the Baptist was a guy who wore leather and ate bugs, locusts and honey, and he preached. He preached. He preached the gospel of repentance. He was preparing the way for Jesus. Then he baptized people. Now in that day and age, that was not how it was done. No one baptized you. You baptized you. If you were a proselyte, you dunked yourself. Now here's John coming along claiming an authority to dunk people. Oh, well, you would cleanse yourself. You wouldn't even do immersion. 
And so here's John in the Jordan River saying, hey, you got to get right, you got to live right, you, you got to change. I have discovered, you know, I've been doing this, this preaching thing, pastoring thing for a, a day or two. I have discovered that people love, they love to suffer for their faith. What I mean is they love to come to church on Sunday, be made feel really bad, and then leave and do nothing about it. Okay, you're like, Michael, that's not me. I didn't say it was you. I said it's people like you that might be sitting in your chair. <laughs> and so here's John, and he's preaching a pretty hard message. You know, he's telling people, you know, you need to get ready for the Messiah, and you need to, uh, uh, you need to start, you, you, don't, you need to actually start living right. And what you say is one thing, but you actually need to do the right thing. Crazy message, I know. Matthew writes about John. Mark writes about John. Luke writes about John. John writes about John. Different John. Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells us about John. John is even in the Koran. John the Baptist is even in the Koran. So we have a lot of evidence to the existence of John the Baptist. Now, like I said, this was weird. I don't know if you know this yet about God, but he likes to do things a little bit strange sometimes. Okay? He likes to uh, keep people guessing. So the Bible says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 5. All of Judea. That sounds like everybody in town. A lot, a lot of folks in the, everybody in the county, all right? Including all the people of Jerusalem, that's a pretty big city, went out to see and hear John. That was a, that was a day's walk. An entire day's walk. Walk. From Jerusalem to where John is. Okay? They went out to hear and see him. When they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. People are going out like, what is John about? What is going on? Okay? So, some Pharisees, some professional re religious dudes, they make the walk. They hike out there to find out. Here's this notable guy doing weird things and make, preaching this message about the Messiah. And everybody was interested in anything about the Messiah at that point in time because Rome was oppressing Israel. They wanted Rome dead and the Messiah to come and reign. There were political interests here driving a lot of this. So the Pharisees go out. They take one look at John, and I'm sure they absolutely love that leather-wearing, bug-eating dude. I mean, them in their fancy, prim and proper robes, so holy they can't touch the common people in their own minds. And here's John. I bet, I bet John was just not a pleasant guy right off the bat. In fact, when he pointed his finger at him and said, you bunch of vipers who told you to repent and prepare that seems like that would be hurtful <sighs> so finally after he stripped them down with his message they asked him are you the messiah and this is how john answered as recorded by john i just like saying john and john john the baptist told him i baptize with water i baptize you with water but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. The Pharisees had a belief at the time that when the Messiah was revealed, it would be obvious to everyone. And so here's John saying, there's a guy among you, and you don't know who he is. Then he goes on to say, 
though his ministry follows mine, look around, guys. We're baptizing people. Everybody's walking from everywhere in the country to hear this. Even though he follows mine, I'm not worthy to be his slave. I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandal. Okay? So, they asked John, are you the Messiah? John's answer, Michael Maynard translation, heck no. But you'll know him when he comes. I mean, you're going to see him. You don't recognize him now. And so here's John. He's out there doing his thing, but he says he's not the Messiah. He's not what Israel's waiting on. He's not the answer that everybody's waiting for. But, and I love how the Apostle John records this in John chapter 1. Because this is apparently like one day, all the Pharisees come out, or several of them come out, the higher-ups, to find out about John. And the Bible says in John 1.29, the next verse, after what we just read, says, the very next day. Because God has a sense of humor. He created you. <laughs> Michael, stop taking jabs at me. Well, I'm just trying to keep you in this conversation, so. So, the very next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. So, John's doing his thing. Get right. Get ready for the Messiah. Live right. Get baptized. He's wearing his leather, having his locusts and honey for lunch. Probably got little legs in his teeth. Like, Michael, this is overdevelopment. I know. And then his cousin pops out of the crowd. And John sees him. This was not the first time John had seen his cousin Jesus. But this was the first time that John saw Jesus, the Messiah. And that day, John saw Jesus, and here's what he said. Look! Some translations say, lo. Uh, Other words that just mean, look! Everybody, pay attention! The next day, John saw him come toward him. He said, look! And And here's how he describes the Jesus that's coming toward him. Look, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. That's a weird thing to call someone. It's like if I said, hey, look, it's Tucker, the Lamb of Rock Springs. <laughs> and you would look at him and you'd go, that is no lamb. <laughs> you would need about 1,497 years of history to understand what John was saying. Because that Passover that we talked about last week, where they sacrificed a lamb and put the blood over the door and on both sides of the door as an act of trust in God. And ever since then, they had been sacrificing lambs over and over again. Now, I don't want you to think for a second that any Israeli believed that the blood of a lamb was enough to cover up their junk on the bad side of the scale. Everyone knew this was a temporary measure. All the Jews knew. And so when John says, look, the Lamb of God, he's pointing back to the Passover that we talked about last week. He's pointing back to a, a, um, a ritual that happened in the temple where a lamb was sacrificed every year by the high priest. And so the people had no idea what he meant by it, but they knew what he was talking about. They were not 
strangers to the idea of a lamb of God. They'd seen one at least every year and likely much more than that. Look, the lamb of God who takes away, takes away, carts away, carries away. What? Carries away what? The sins of the world. Not the sins of the Jews. Not the sins of the Pharisees. Not the sins of Rome. The sins of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who carries away, takes away the sins of the world. Now, if you are like me and your scale is out of balance and the side that's got the bad deeds is buried in the dirt because so much is there, I am very interested in a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because I have a sin problem. I have these things that I can't let go of. So this is John. The audience didn't get it. All the people that came out to hear John, they're like, they were probably a little mad, like he was distracting. I came out to hear John. Who cares about this Jesus dude? That may have been what happened that day. I came to get baptized and Jesus butted in front of me. Could have happened. <sighs> hey, if Jesus butts in front of you, let him go. Let him go. Let him do his thing. All right. So there's John's Lamb of God. Now, that's not all, though. There's also what Jesus said. Because John, that told us about John, John the Apostle, that told us about John the Baptizer, also tells us some, a story about Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, 30, first, three, three and a half years after that moment with John, where this Holy Spirit descends on him, and, and I don't have time to go into the whole story of that three and a half years. It's amazing. You should read the Gospels continually. You should read the Gospels all the time just to learn what Jesus did. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, for you guys who are church people, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus and follow Jesus, it's more important to know what Jesus did than it is even to know what Paul said. You need to know what Jesus did. That way you can understand why Paul said what Paul said. That was for church people. You guys who aren't church people, don't, I mean, you're not there yet. It's okay. It's okay. I just Sometimes I like to just talk. You know, I just like to offend everybody equally. <sighs> I'm just kidding. I'm really not trying to offend anybody. So Jesus Christ is uh, he's about to be lied about, betrayed, all these things. So he's having a Passover, which is a big Jewish deal. Every year, have a Passover, have a lamb to commemorate what happened at the Passover in Egypt 1,400 plus years ago. And so Jesus is having Passover with the disciples before he's about to, to be arrested. While he's at the Passover, he says, to the, he says to the guys, he says, hey, he took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Hmm. Hmm. You know, any self-respecting Jew at that moment would have charged Jesus with blasphemy and run out of the room. That's what you need to realize, that this is a very serious moment. Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, as the old saying goes, and we hear the story of the, the last night of Christ's life, and we love it, and it's beautiful, and we don't quite 
catch what's happening. If I walked in your house Christmas morning, handed all of you a gift and said, all right, today let's celebrate my birthday. Yeah. You throw me out, call the cops. Maybe shoot me. I am in Wyoming. It could happen. Jesus says, this thing you've been doing for over 1,400 years or 14 plus centuries, and you've been doing it to commemorate Moses and to commemorate the freedom from Egypt. Now, I want you to do this to remember me. So Jesus is connecting the Passover with himself. After the supper, he took the cup of wine and said the cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Uh Uh-oh. Something's about to happen here. And 12 disciples, 11 now, and I think actually Jesus was in, I mean, Judas was in the room this time. Sorry, preacher moment. Let's come back. The disciples didn't catch it. I don't think they understood what he was saying because he was saying that he's taking this Passover. Now he wants you to celebrate it in memory of him and that now that this blood is a new covenant between God and himself, confirmed by his blood and it's poured out as a sacrifice for you. So John the Baptist, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't know if you know the story of the Lamb of God, but it did not turn out well for the Lamb. The Lamb got sacrificed. The blood got drained. Now you have Jesus saying that he's pouring out as a sacrifice for you. Now, the Lamb of God that carts off the sins of the world. The the writers of the New Testament, the writers of what we call the books of the New Testament, recorded some interesting things. Some of them were eyewitnesses of these things. And one of the things they record is very interesting about the crucifixion of Jesus. And believe me, if I had all afternoon, I would love to just preach on the crucifixion for a while and then come back and conclude this message. But I don't think it'll stay that long. What happened when Jesus died? So Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. How a person died of Roman crucifixion was that they suffocated. That was how they died. That was the normal way you expired as a criminal Over 30,000 Jewish men died by crucifixion, crucified by Rome. You wouldn't even know about crucifixion if it weren't for Jesus. And so they all died by crucifixion. In fact, that's why the Roman soldiers were going to break their legs. They were going to expedite the suffocation process because that's what killed a guy dying on a cross. That is not what killed Jesus. That is not what killed Jesus. Jesus bled to death. When they went out to break the legs of the two criminals on each side of Jesus, they came to Jesus, and the documents tell us that they did not break his legs because it was unnecessary, because he was already dead. They were shocked that he was already dead. It was unusual for someone to die that quickly on the cross. In fact, in ancient times, someone would be on a cross as long as a week. Yeah, it sounds like a horrible way to go. It was. My point is simply this. Jesus didn't suffocate. He bled out. Why does that matter? Well, I'll tell you why it matters. uh, Paul kind of wrapped it up for us. He says, since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. Blood. See that? You ever been to church like, why are these people singing about blood? That's like a gory gospel, man. This is why. This is why. Because a lamb was bled out to cover 
your sins as an Israeli before Jesus Christ. But then the Lamb of God came and He bled out. And His blood is for that pile of junk, the failures, the mistakes, the sins. That blood was for that pile. Everything that buries you in guilt, everything that makes you feel foolish, embarrassed at your past life, Jesus Christ's blood was poured out for all of those things. Back to Paul's words. Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So the blood of Jesus saves you from God's condemnation. So I want you to think about that, that pile of junk, all the stuff that's there, the pain, the sorrow, the stuff that you can never be done with. In God's mind, He's looking because of the blood of Jesus, and He's got no condemnation for you because of the blood of Jesus. Okay? But now you're looking at this and you're going, okay, well, God doesn't have any condemnation for me, but I'm condemning me. I'm disappointed in me. I let myself down. I owed it to myself to do better. God may forgive me. I can't forgive me. Sounds, doesn't it sound a little crazy? I'm not saying you're crazy. I'm just saying, doesn't it sound a little crazy when you say it out loud? Like, you have higher standards for you than God has for you? That makes sense? And so, Jesus bled, and that blood covered us. And here's how Paul broke it down 20 years after this, or more. Paul the theologian writes in Colossians 2.13, he says, you were dead. You were so messed over. You were a train wreck. Everything was wrong with you. Blah, blah, blah. You were hurting. You were dead because of your sins. And your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. Say all. all. Forgave all your sins. God forgave all your sins. Now, this verse is just telling you what's happened. So it's, telling, it's a factual it's a background. He canceled the record of all your sins, the charges against us, his charges, your charges against you. He canceled the record and took it away, lifted it up, carried it off, canceled the debt. What can wash away my sin? That's what I was waiting on. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, it is so challenging. I think one of the most challenging things in the world is to get something you already have. To receive something that's right there for you. Watchman Nee has a book called The Normal Christian Life, and I think it should be required Christian reading, by the way, but that's just Michael's opinion. And he says, because he's talking about the idea of being in Christ, and he says, being in Christ for the Christian is so frustrating because it's like trying to get into a room that you're already in. Just think of it. What if I was talking to Brother Ed back there and he's like, man, I got to get into church today. And I'll go, Brother Ed, you're here. No, I need to get in there. 
Brother Ed, we would never have this discussion. He's way smarter than that. But it is humorous to think about trying to get something that's there for you to have. You're holding yourself hostage to a debt that God's already paid. You're holding your, you, so you're sitting here this morning like, Michael, it's not that easy. I can't forget, I did horrible things, blah, 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 blah. I know, that's what it sounds like in your head, blah, 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 blah. All these things, they're, they're reasons why, what? Reasons why what? God's already forgiven you, man. He put his son on the cross, his blood was poured out. Michael, that was 2,000 years ago. I sinned yesterday. Your sins when you were like a year old were also after Christ was born. I mean, mean, after he died on the cross. It, it, It doesn't follow. I'm just telling you, through the blood of Jesus, there is forgiveness. You are forgiven. Stop trying to forgive you. Let that go. You owe everything to God, but he's asking for nothing but trust. That's all he's asking for. You know, the beauty of the Christian life, and this is one of those other things that makes us so weird from every other faith on the planet. The beauty of the, the Christian life is that we don't have to do something to receive something. We receive something to do something. Yes. It's, God just, through Jesus, flipped everything on its head. Yes. You're thinking, Michael... I just, I don't know, it doesn't sound right. Of course it doesn't sound right. You live in a world where everything is messed up and broken. The starting point is trust. The starting point is receiving forgiveness. Michael, what am I supposed to do about all this stuff that's on my scale that I cannot forget? Here's what you're supposed to do. I'm going to get really like Christian preachery here just for a second. You're supposed to thank God that he's so good. That's what you're supposed to do. You're like, but Michael, I messed up people's lives. And God forgives you anyway. Woo! Michael, you've wasted money. You've wasted time. You've wasted health. But God forgives you anyway. Yay! I dare you to do that. Yay! It's kind of a feminine male. Yay! God's people should be filled with laughter. They really should. This, this is why I use humor. It's why I think church should be fun. I think if you're not having fun in church, you're not doing it right. And uh, because why? Because you've been forgiven. You are forgiven, man. I don't care what you've done. Well, I, I killed someone when I was younger. It's still a sin. Sin is covered. I, I'm going to tell you, this is Michael. <sighs> This is how we, we look at each other's sins. I, I, catch, I hear this all the time. drives us crazy. And here's how we think. And I, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. This is just how the human condition is. We hear about so-and-so who did something awful. And the thing he did is just awful. I can't believe he did that thing. But inside of us, we got our thing. And we just haven't been caught yet. You know? And so it's awful that that guy had a thing. Boy, I hope no one ever finds my thing. That's kind of how we live our life. Here's what you need to realize. Before God, have you ever been? So last week uh, we went to Arches National Park and we climbed up. I thought you could drive by the delicate arch. Boy, was I wrong. You cannot. You can't even Jeep by it. You might could fly by it. But anyway, so uh, we get there and I'm like, well, we're at the park. We got to go see this thing. We're here. We're probably never coming back. And 
So we dragged Cayman up this two-mile hike to, or mile and a half, whatever it was to the Delicate Arch. It was, it was tough for this old fat boy. I mean, a chubby fella. <laughs> you get up there, it's beautiful. It's terrifying, but it's beautiful. You look down, and there's people over on this other viewing point, the easy one to get to. That should, be, that should have been the one I picked. It's the fat guy walkway. That's the one I should have picked. <laughs> they're over there, but you know what? They look like ants. They're like little dots. In fact, in fact, the reason we went the big one was because I went to that one first, and I saw the people already up there, and they looked like ants. And I'm going, if the view's this good from here, i got to get up there. I want you to think about that. And, and So here's God. And God is like, whoa, he's awesome. And he's looking at us. And, and to him, you know, like Kelly Brandt over here, he's like, what are you, six, 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 seven? You know, and I'm six. I don't know, I'm just guessing. I'm sorry if I overestimated there or underestimated. And God, up there, you can't tell that from that perspective, you can't tell that, that he's, Kelly's taller than I am. And it's the same with God. I'm a wreck. You're a wreck. That's all God needs to know. Your particular menu of wreck is irrelevant because the blood has been shed for you. The debt you think you owed yourself, you actually owed to God, and God covered it in the blood of His Son. You're done. So now, what do I need to do? Do I need to conquer a mountain? Do I need to win the world to Jesus? Do I need to give a lot of money? You need to trust that's it. You need, that's the starting point. It's the finishing point. No, there may be mountains to conquer. There may be all these things. We'll get to that in our last week. But right now, the starting point is simple trust. God says that His Son is the Lamb of God given for the sins of the world. The Bible teaches me that the blood is poured out to cover my sins. Paul teaches me in Colossians that that blood cancels my debt Okay. Okay. And that's, that's Christianity. That's the starting point. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I will never be able to do justice to your goodness. No matter how I teach it or preach it or yell about it or cry about it or beg or plead, it will never ever be enough to properly honor you for your gifts and your graciousness to us. Oh Lord, that today out of the ashes of our past, men, women, and children would be born again. Would be free. Would walk out of the isolation that they're experiencing, the loneliness